Good evening. It's good to be with you tonight. Can we pray together? God, our Father, thank you that as we gather here on earth, in heaven we have a high priest, we have an advocate, we have a savior, our glorified and exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he left the beauty and the holiness and the majesty of heaven to take on flesh, to become human, and to obey you where we have failed and to die to pay our debt. Thank you that he rose and that he is Lord. I thank you that you bless us, that you bless us continually through Christ and that all, all that we could hope for and all that we could need, that you have supplied it fully in Christ. And our only need is, is just to trust you and to receive that. And tonight we pray that you would give us fresh faith, fresh expectation of our, our Savior, that he would speak, that he would work in our hearts and release grace and power into every one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight, I want to begin by asking you a question, and I'd like you to answer back, okay? So, this is what I want to know. Think of all the Christians that you've met in the course of your life, in the places you've been. What are some of the different kinds of Christians that you know? What, what's a word you would use to describe somebody that has come to mind? You notice he waited after a long pause before he said that. Quiet, yes. Loving. What else? Nominal. Nominal. Unfortunately. Okay. Loyal. Selfless. Selfless. Adherent. Could you say that again? Faithful. Faithful. Thank you. Gracious. Well, in my, in my lifetime, I've met all sorts of Christians, and there have been you know, fat ones and skinny ones, tall ones and short ones, black, white, Asian, First Nations, North American, everything that you can imagine. Um, but regardless of any of those kind of factors, <clears throat> the ones who have helped me the most, um, they've probably had some of the, the positive traits that you thought of. And especially one trait that has stood out among those who have most ministered to me are Christians who know something about the power of God. That there's, there's an experience and there's a personal knowledge of the power of God. Here's another question for you. Would you describe the Christian life 
as an experience of the power of God. Is that what the Christian life is? Experiencing the power of God. What we're going to see in, in tonight's scripture is that God's intent is at the heart of your life as a believer. You would know the power of God. And we're, we're going to continue from where we were last week to, to explore a prayer that Paul the Apostle prays in Ephesians 1. And he prays specifically that you and I would know the power of God. So can we turn to Ephesians chapter 1? And I'd like to read with you, beginning at verse 14 and to the end of the chapter, verse 15, to the end of the chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1. This is a letter uh, written by a missionary to a first-generation church, uh, former pagans who came to Jesus. They had known power in terms of the, the... demonic powers that were part of the religions they'd been part of before they came to Christ. And they, they now knew a much higher power, and he's praying that they and that we will know that. Ephesians 1, 15, God's word to us. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the work, as his mighty strength He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. I want to begin by thinking about what is power in the New Testament, where he prays in uh, verse 19 to know his incomparably great power. What does that word refer to in the New Testament? Well, one of the first ways that the underlying word is used is to describe in Jesus' ministry, when he would touch a sick person, they would be healed, and there was a miracle that miracle is this word translated here as power. It's a show of Jesus' power in miracles in the New Testament and through the New Testament church. Additionally, in the New Testament, this word for power describes the gospel. Paul said it is the power of God for salvation. The message of Jesus, these, the words spoken of what he did, is the power of God. Because it, it brought you and me as believers from death to life spiritually. So power is miracles, power is the gospel. And Jesus promised uh, the apostles that they would be clothed with power from on high. Do you know what that power pointed to? It was the Holy Spirit who he promised to send. And this is in Acts 1.8. The power, and he said, and then you will be my witnesses. So it's power to represent Jesus in your world, in your family, in your neighborhood. And wherever you are sent. Paul said that his ministry was not simply words, but it was power. And God's power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. That's 2 Peter 1. 
Now, the power of God is for somebody. Who is it for? Look at verse 19. What does it say to us? His incomparably great power for us who believe. It's for us who believe. So who is it for? It's for every single Christian in this room. It's for every believer. All it takes is is faith. The faith that you have in Jesus. And you also do need to exercise that faith on a daily basis to, to know something of His power. Do you know what happened when Jesus went to His hometown after He'd been doing miracle after miracle? He goes to His hometown and it says in the text that He could do no miracles there. Why? Do you know why? It was because of their unbelief. And so my unbelief can limit the power of God working through my life. Your unbelief can limit the power of God. But it is simply faith. You simply need to trust God when He says His power is available for you. And faith doesn't need to be big. Don't you love that bit where Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move. Like, how many of us just have mustard seed faith most of the time? I think I do. But I'm thankful. That's enough. And sometimes we feel our weakness to resist our own sin and selfishness or just the, the, the various maybe burdens that we carry and we feel overwhelmed and weak and, and maybe pressured by the enemy, tempted by the world. Is the power of God for, for people like that? I believe it's especially when we are weak that we are candidates for the power of God. Do you know what it says in, in 2 Corinthians at 12, verse, verse 9, Jesus says to Paul, and this is for you and me, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. If this was a black church, you'd say amen right there. Because that is good, isn't it? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Why don't you give that a go this week? When you are feeling how little strength you have, boast in that before God. And say, Lord, let this be a place where Jesus shines brighter, where your power comes. And what does Paul mean here when he speaks about power? Well, he clarifies what he's talking about, doesn't he? Look at verse 19 at the end. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. It's, it's the power that raised a corpse, and he goes on to say, seated him alive in the highest place of authority as the ruler of all things. And he's, he's filling the universe now with his reign, with his presence, and he's doing it through the weak people that we are, through the church. This is how God's displaying his power it says it's incomparably great. The word incomparably literally means to throw beyond. If we lined up three people here and, and gave you maybe a, you know, one of those real heavy weights that you, you throw in the Highland Games and said throw, and one person could throw it and it went you know, two pews and hit the ground. The next person threw it and it went three pews and hit the ground. And the third person threw it and it went through the wall, through the doors, and into the street. We'd say they've, they've gone 
incomparably beyond. And that's the word that's used here. His power surpasses any power we've seen or can imagine. And he goes on, he, he, he's trying to find words next to, to measure the unmeasurable. And power is the word from which we get uh, dynamic or, or dynamite. And it talks about his working, his mighty strength. Uh, three more terms which describe the, the power that is resident in God. And when he uses his power, he, it's never exhausted. He never runs out. And then he says, what did this power do? He exerted it when he raised Christ from the dead. And we're going to look next at how that power is exerted in resurrection, in enthronement, and in filling the universe. First of all, Christ was raised. The New Testament expresses this as a fact of history. There's something 7 billion people on this planet have in common. Death and taxes. And everyone in this room, unless the Lord returns first, we're going to die. We're not just going to pass away. We're going to die. Our bodies will die. And death is a horrible thing. It's, it's a great evil. It's not how God intended the world to be. I can remember um, a phone call late one night, 2 in the morning, from a, the wife of a pastor who worked in my town in, in British Columbia. Jim's just had a heart attack. Could you, could you come? Could you pray? And, and I got dressed. I got in the car, rushed to the hospital, and, and called some other, other colleagues, some other pastors. And, and we began to pray for Jim. While in the other room, they were restarting his heart again and again. And, and we went in and we, we laid hands and prayed for him. We came out and they kept on. And praise God, he came back. And he's still alive. He's still serving as a minister. And what a blessing. And because we know how precious life is. There are people today frozen hoping, well, I don't think they're hoping really, but people are hoping for them uh, that medicine will be able to bring them back. They've died, and they were put on ice immediately afterwards, and they're in storage somewhere. Because we don't want to die. But Jesus rose from the dead, and when he came back, he didn't just rise with a body that would die again, like Jim's body is going to die again, like even if they raise these frozen people, they will die again. He rose with a body that will not die. Revelation 1.18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He is alive forever and ever. And that is why we can have eternal life by faith in him. He has dethroned death. And one day he will finally defeat it. We still live in a world full of spiritual death, rebellion towards God, and we're waiting for our bodies to be transformed when Christ returns. But we live in this world, in our weakness, in His resurrection power. Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6 talks about how we have been raised together with Christ and seated with Him. And, and so we have power... To overcome, 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, the, the enemy of our souls, because the one who was in you was greater than the one who was in the world. You may have experienced spiritual warfare this week. I have. 
But do you know how we overcome? Because we have a resurrected Lord. And the Ephesians 1 vocabulary of power gets picked up in Ephesians 6 when he, he says we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil. And he says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he's reminding them and us that it's resurrection power over everything. Now we're still battling our, our sin and our flesh. But Ephesians 4, it, it talks about how through resurrection we put off the old humanity and we've put on the new humanity, raised with Christ to live a new life. Now think about this. In your Christian life, as a believer, are you the same as before you became a believer? Is anything different? Now think about just one area of your life that's different. You might have thought, well, it's, maybe it's just this or it's just that. But do you know something? That change is a result of your Life, your spirit coming in contact with the resurrection power of Jesus. He's changing you, and it's, it's a power that will not stop until he's finished. And in our own lives, can I encourage you to pray where you feel weak, where you face a battle, where you struggle with temptation or fear, whatever. God, let the resurrection power of Jesus come to bear on my life in this, in this particular point. Invite him right to that point of weakness. And see what happens. Maybe invite a friend to pray with you and agree with you for that. And when you go to, to minister, whether it's you know, intentionally or just the way life happens and God gives us unexpected assignments, sometimes right at our doorstep, will you pray that it won't just be you, it won't just be me, but it'll be Jesus in his resurrection power ministering through us? Because that's when something happens, isn't it? There's... Resurrection is what God's power brought to Jesus, brings to us. What else? It says in verse 20, it says that he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, what is this talking about? It's, it's not talking about sitting down like, like to dinner or sitting down because he needed a break after being with people for so long. It, it wasn't anything like that. This is specifically enthronement language. It alludes to Psalm 110, uh, written by David in the first millennium B.C., and it pointed forward to a time when a, a human Messiah, a human divine Messiah, would be enthroned over the entire world. At Psalm 110, I'll read it for you, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, this is like the Father speaking to the Son in the Trinity, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He seated him at his right hand. That's symbolic for the place of honor, the place of power over your enemies. And they're all listed in verse 21, these rulers, authorities in every age. And this is talking about both human and spiritual authorities. On the, on the human level, those who operate on the level of country, state, uh, national, international levels... Now, if you were in, in Ephesus, as you read this, what would jump out right away is that Jesus is greater than Caesar. Because Caesar ruled the known world. He ruled the Roman Empire. But Jesus is above him. Jesus is Lord. And to us, we hear in the news every day the ongoing crises with Kim Jong-un and, and the President of the United States sparring with words and 
what's going to happen. We, we see other world leaders and, and what's going on in Spain and what's going on in, in Asia, other parts of it. And world leaders are powerful. World leaders make decisions which affect not only their own nations, but nations of the world around them. But can I tell you who's more powerful than them? When you get on your knees and pray, you are praying to a power greater than every one of them. And he's a God who answers prayer. The, to, to the Ephesians, this was a statement about political powers. And remember where to go with what's going on on earth with our leaders, but also it was a statement about spiritual powers. Many of, of these believers in Ephesus tried every day to avoid harm from these dark powers. Now, is that a problem today still? I found an interesting quote from William Barclay, and he said, no. He said, Paul was speaking about a, a sphere which doesn't mean so much to us today. This idea of spiritual enemies doesn't really mean anything to us today. That's all Paul's, we've kind of moved beyond that. Is that right? Is, is there no more devil? Is there no more spiritual battle? Whether it's occult practices like reading tea leaves, demonic influences that might shape media and government, or temptations, lies, accusations from the enemy that you've faced this week, there's a sphere of darkness. We have a spiritual foe. He's a fallen angel and, and others who fail with him. And Christ has defeated him. And one day his, his defeat will be made final on Judgment Day. But we need to know now as believers that Christ is above all of those enemies. And we are in Christ. And as, as Christ is far above all, he's in heaven. Does that mean he's far removed? If he's far above all, like there's no way you could get to him with a spaceship or shoot a satellite up there and take pictures of where he is. So where is he? How, how could he help us so far away? Well, do you remember election day? You went in to that school gymnasium or wherever it was and you, you placed your vote. You chose somebody to be a representative. And when... One of those representatives got elected, and they left Airdrie, and they went to Edinburgh, and they sat down in that seat in, in the, the Edinburgh Parliament. Did their influence on things in Airdrie decrease, or did their influence increase? Their influence increased, didn't it? Because now they're in a place of authority. They're in a position of power. And Christ is this representative of a new humanity, as not only as God, but as man, as one of us. He's seated in heaven and on the throne, and it shifted the center of gravity in the universe when he sat down there. His, his bodily absence didn't remove him from earthly influence. Actually, now he has the greatest influence. And because your Savior is seated there, there is nothing that will hit you today, nothing that will happen this week or this year or in your lifetime. 
that can defeat you. Because your king is on the throne. And we're going to see at the end here how he's, he's ruling for our benefit. And it says here, finally, that he appointed him, verse uh, 20, 22, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When it says he was appointed to be head, it, it's, the word literally is that he gave. And, he, and the implication is that Christ is a gift to us. And what is he doing as that gift to us? He is ruling all things for the benefit of the church. He's the head of all things. And he's ruling for the benefit of the church. What is that talking about? Well, every atom, every human, every thing, every galaxy is under his rule. Every good thing that happened to you this week, every evil deed that evil people perpetrate, every work of art created, Every assignment you got at your job this week, everything the politicians do, everything your weird neighbor does, Christ is ruling over all of this for the benefit of you, the benefit of his church. Let that sink in for a minute. Everything. What if we could see that? What if we could remember that and believe it when we don't see it at all. We just had friends visit this week from Canada. And uh, Kevin and Julia Garrett were missionaries in China for 30 years. When out of the blue, after being out for dinner with some people, they, they, they came down the elevator in the hotel where they had dinner, stepped out, and were separated and whisked away to an unknown location are taken away by, by the police. And they were accused of being spies. And they had no idea what was going on or why this was happening. They'd just been loving Jesus and loving the Chinese people for 30 years. And they spent the next two years waiting to see what God was going to do. And they spent six months each first in solitary confinement at six hours of interrogation every day. And then Kevin went off to, to jail and, and Julie went into house arrest. And they were just saying, God, please, like, what are you doing? And help us to trust you and, and help us to, to serve you where we are. And they, in that process, they, they made a decision to trust that their sovereign God had a good plan in this. That this wasn't done by the Chinese. This was ultimately Jesus. And that he was going to work good. And what a testimony he gave them. Uh, by the grace of God and thousands of people's prayers. They were, they were released about a year ago after two years. When they came and they, they shared here in Glasgow and Edinburgh a testimony of trusting the sovereignty of God. That he is reigning. He is using everything. Ruling over it for the good of his people. Can we believe that in our lives this week? What is your solitary confinement? What is your prison right now? Believe that Jesus reigns for your good in that. And he wants us to know that the church is his body, the fullness of him, which fulfills everything in every way. Two ideas here as we come 
to close. Number one, that we are the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Well, what is God's fullness? It's an abstract word, but if you could picture um, God as full of love, full of righteousness, full of truth, full of goodness, full of justice, and he's pouring that into us. If, if, if we had a tanker truck, and you know, in the Scottish Highlands, you've got these rivers of clear, pristine water, and they pull up the tanker truck, and they, they fill it up with water. It's like he pours his water into the church. He pours it in, and we become this distribution center. And you know how that water goes from the tanker truck to a factory and gets turned into bottles? And those bottles get spread all over the place, all over the UK and Europe and the world. He's spreading his fullness, all of his goodness, all that he is, all over Airdrie through us. We're like those bottles. All over Scotland, all over the world, through us. He's filling the world. And that filling language is the same language as um, Exodus 40, 34 the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the, tap, the temple, the, the, the desert temple, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. His glory filled the tabernacle. And as he's filling the world, Paul draws on this temple language to say the presence of God, the glory of God, the worship of God is filling Airdrie, filling Ephesus, filling the world as we go and live our ordinary lives carrying the presence of God with us. I think that's a glorious thing. It's amazing. And it says he fills everything in every way. How does he do that? How, how, what's, what happens? Well, how does he pour his fullness into the cosmos? I, I knew a minister um, in, in the Highlands, in a little, little church there. And this church had gone virtually from, from death maybe six people left, to thriving, bursting at the seams, and just full of energy and life and joy. And I, I asked him, like, what happened? And, and we talked about just how God had brought renewal to this church. And then he told me something profound, and I think it's for us to hear as well. Because he talked about how it wasn't just that village that's affected. But in the highlands, when... One person's life is changed because everyone's kind of interconnected. It's like a spider's web. You touch one end and the other end rattles. That stories spread and change lives, touch other lives. And everything this one little church does in, in Kiltarlity is rippling across the highlands. And when you are a believer, every little bit of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it ripples across your family and your workplace and Airdrie and the UK and the world. Everything this church does, it ripples across. And you don't know where that ripple ultimately goes. That is what he's doing through his church everywhere. He's filling the cosmos with his presence. This is all a picture of what the power of God is about. Christ was raised, Christ was enthroned, and he's reigning for us. And Christ is filling every place with his presence through the church. And can we do this this week? Can we pray for one another? In this church, pray for us. 
over in Calder Crooks and pray for the church, all of God's people, that we would know the incomparable greatness of the power of God for us who believe. Can we ask that right now? God, so often we feel our weakness and in a way we think that's the end of the story. But thank you that that is just what makes us ripe receptacles for the presence of God and the power of God to be poured into our lives. Lord, we come beggars and with nothing and we thank you that our exalted Lord Jesus is everything for people just like us, for everyone in this room and for all of your people. And we pray that you would place this prayer in our hearts and we begin right now and ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to know and faith to walk in the surpassing greatness of the power of our good God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.